In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The end is near. Whether we admit it or not, this is a common sermon heard today. Now, perhaps we might imagine a street preacher wearing his sandwich board sign and shouting at all the passers-by, The end is near. Maybe we consider the latest political controversy to be a sign of the end. After all, the cry of impeachment is, by definition, a radical one. Some say it's the end of our constitutional form of government. Or though there are those who preach climate change as the ultimate threat. If we don't do something soon, the end will be upon us. Could it be what we hear with the news of countries mistreating their citizens and the astronomical growth and persecution against the Christian church? Surely the end is near. Yes, forecasts of the end are everywhere. Every few years, and sometimes more frequently, someone will go so far as to even predict the date of the end of the world. Now, whether it's based on a religious view of the creation or a scientific one, everyone seems to have their favorite theory about the end of the world. Some say the end of the world will bring about worldwide peace or that only when we make political peace in our world can Jesus return. Others are quick to look to the battles described in the book of Revelation and see death and judgment as the order of the day. Yes, everyone seems to have their concept of an end to the world. We heard them in our Old Testament reading for today. In Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, God is warning his people about the end. In fact, that lesson today gave us God's last word to his people before John the Baptist comes. The Lord God says, the end is coming. And then, silence for 400 years. Perhaps when God's people first heard that message, it was a wake-up call. The last word from God is a word of judgment. And perhaps it made a difference. Recall how 18 years ago, Right after 9-11, churches became a little fuller. People were searching for truth, something to believe. The destruction was all over the news, and the images from that day give us a little picture of what the end might be like. There was a need for hope. We needed to hear that God was still in control. And for a while, that was helpful. But as the months went on, though everything had changed, in some sense, everything became sort of a new normal. Though our concept of safety and security had been catastrophically altered, eventually the past became but a memory. I imagine in some way it was the same for God's people. Perhaps the first time someone heard God's condemnation in Malachi It was a wake-up call. 
But then its novelty wore off. As that generation died, the connection to the Lord's word became more distant. No longer was God speaking today, but that was something that happened one or two or even ten or twenty generations ago. Eventually, man came to see that today is a lot like yesterday, and chances are that tomorrow will be much like today. The world just goes on. The temptation is to think that if judgment has escaped my mind, if I have forgotten the warnings that God gave in my youth, if, I, if what God said to my ancestors has become but a dim memory for me, then perhaps he has forgotten about it too. After all, if I was God and I wanted people to know what I said, wouldn't I keep sending them preachers? Wouldn't I teach parents to teach their children? But in all this, in a very real way, the world does seem to just go on. Even those who become students of history very quickly realize that our problems today aren't all that different from the ones in the past. Certainly, there may be different technology, but the questions that plague us are all the same. Questions about reality and history, about the nature of man and wondering where all this is heading. Will I have enough money this year? Who will care for my children when I die? What about my inheritance? Even though we might see new diseases crop up, every disease is a distortion of health. People still get old and die. Relationships are formed and broken. Life goes on until one day you die. You return to the ground from whence you came. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And that is the end. We're tempted to look at the world around us and think it's always been this way. Every day is much like the one that came before. Or perhaps we adopt a position that looks at the people of the past as somehow inferior. After all, our technology and understanding of science let us live longer. And eventually, perhaps one day soon, we'll be able to postpone death long enough that we could claim to have attained eternal life. But the world hasn't always been this way. Not since the very beginning. In the beginning, it was good, even very good. But it didn't stay that way for long. Satan was busy distorting and subverting all that God had created. Though man was the crowning glory of God's creation, Our nature has likewise been infected. Adam and Eve believed Satan's lie, taking for themselves that which God did not give. And now the consequences abound. The first man born in this world becomes a murderer. And in the time of Noah, man's wickedness becomes so profound that God destroys all the unrighteous. Even now, For us in the present, the wickedness of the world seems to know no bounds. Persecution of Christians is on the rise. 
And though technology advances from a desire to conquer sin's effects, instead, more often than not, it simply is a way to facilitate our own sinful desires. In fact, the truth of the world is that everything seems to tend toward disorder. Things wear out and break and fall apart. Man himself grows old and the body fails. So we use our technology to preserve that which we value the most. We think that given enough time, we'll solve every human problem. After all, says the evolutionist, time brought us into existence and only time will take us out. So if we know when something will happen, we can work to avoid it. In our gospel reading today, the disciples were tempted to look at the physical temple as the glory of Israel. And our reading begins with them marveling at it. Reconstructed by King Herod as part of his personal legacy, among all his building projects, this temple was his masterpiece. Though this temple was not as glorious as Solomon's, It was still a matter of great pride for the people of Israel. So when some marvel at its stones and offerings, Jesus pronounces judgment on it. As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Judgment is coming, says Jesus. But then the all-important question What everyone wants to know, when? Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? We know from history that within 40 years, Jesus' prophecy would come true. The glory of the temple building would be trampled. No stone left upon another. But rather than answer the question about when directly, Jesus goes on to describe the end of all things. False Christs, wars, earthquakes, and famines will be the order of the day. Terrors, signs in the heavens, and persecution, betrayal, and hatred. Sounds a lot like today. In fact, many of these descriptions could be right out of our headlines. Perhaps the street preachers, climate scientists, and political pundits are right. Perhaps the end is upon us. Yes, says Jesus, trouble is coming. Persecution. Perhaps what is depicted on the front cover of today's bulletin will one day be a reality here. It's becoming more overt in China. Churches are being demolished. And those who do not hold to the ideals of the state are sent away to be re-educated. Perhaps these things seem far away and not something that could happen here. But consider what Jesus says in John 16. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. So in all these things... Jesus has given us the forecast of the end, and he would have us notice the signs, betrayal, 
persecution, false Christs, famine, earthquake, and war. We might even think of the coming of the end as a storm. And like a gathering storm, there are signs beforehand. But notice that though Jesus describes the end, he never answers the question of when. Jesus tells us these things, but not so that we can look into the signs and predict with precision when his return will be. Jesus doesn't even want us to speculate about these things. And he's not giving us these signs so that when we see them, we worry and fear. Nor are these signs to cause us to doubt his protection. But what Jesus has in mind is to comfort us that all of these things we see in the world are signs that he will keep his word. Yes, the violence and war, the persecution and false Christs will come. Yes, the world is going to end. But not until Jesus says so. In fact, I can actually say with some certainty precisely when the world will end. Because it's exactly when Jesus says so. Just as his word called it into being and sustains it from day to day, only by his word will it come to an end. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away, says Jesus. And so in all of this, he gives a parable about budding trees. Now we all know that when the buds appear on the trees in the springtime, that summer is near. We know and we trust that summer will follow spring. The buds will flower. The land will bring forth its fruit. And we will rejoice in the harvest. But Jesus today gives us something more certain than the cycle of the seasons. For we have the very word of the one who sustains the seasons, who makes spring become summer. Just as the buds on the trees joyfully predict that summer is near, so we look at the signs that Jesus gives, and we know that he is coming soon to rescue us. Though we are tempted to look at the signs all around us and are tempted to hide or to despair, Jesus says, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Lift up your head. Jesus is coming to rescue you. He already redeemed you by his blood. And he's coming back for you. The world has misidentified the enemy. Our enemy isn't time or even the danger that we see outside. Our enemy is sin and death and devil. Enemies which stand defeated because Jesus conquered them by his death. So yes, we do pray to be delivered from the evil of this world. We beg him to show us how in holy baptism we have died to the world and its desires. We pray that he would make his absolution mean more to us than the nightly news. To make his flesh and blood given to us in Holy Communion more vivid than our decaying flesh and blood. 
So Jesus says not simply grin and bear it, but give praise to God. Smile, rejoice. Jesus is coming again. The Lord who loves you is on the throne. And he is coming to take you from this valley of sorrows to be with him in heaven. He's coming to rid the world of all evil and to rescue us. We even heard a glimpse from, of this from Malachi. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. So it is that we pray, come, Lord Jesus, and we cling to his word, for his word is our very life. Heaven and earth will pass away, says Jesus, but my words will not pass away. We cling to his promises, to the forgiveness of sin, to baptism and the Lord's Supper, that he will take us from this valley of sorrow to be in heaven with him soon. And yes, we do not know the day or the hour of his return, but we know that we will welcome him as he comes to rescue us. Indeed, he comes to rescue us even this very hour. His body and blood are given to us today, and he protects us in this life with his own life. The kingdom of God is already among us. Heaven is on earth today with our Lord's gifts. And we'll say then, as we say now, come, Lord Jesus, in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. The peace of God keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.